Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay. I'm delighted to be joined once again by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello, Rich. And by Tyrone Marshall. Hello. And you're going off on a European adventure next year, the end of the Premier League season. We are recording this on Monday, the 27th of July. United have qualified for the Champions League. The summer transfer window is open. Smiles all around. It was never in doubt, was it, Samuel? Oh, it was. <laughs> it, it really <laughs> was back in January, but then they they eventually signed Bruno Fernandes and it, it just completely tran- transformed everything. It's it, it wouldn't be too disingenuous to put it single-handedly down to him. He, he, he's been that totemic. They've, they've played 14 games with him and they've not lost a single one in the Premier League. It's it's a relatively remarkable run when you consider where they were at the time that he came in and, and what a fraught January it was as well with the sinister songs about Woodward, um, the, the militant supporters outside his house and, and that's without even mentioning that the, the games they actually lost that month as well. They were in a real, a real state but they got their act together and I suppose where they didn't replace Herrera and Lukaku in the summer, that certainly had a detrimental imp- impact on their first half of the season, and it was it was such an erratic first four or five months. But as soon as they did address that by bringing a quality attacking midfielder in, in Fernandez, and I know Regalo isn't exactly Paulo Dybala, but he's he certainly served a purpose in allowing someone like Anthony Marshall to to rest up. Uh, in between games or during games, and Marshall has really kicked on this second half of the season. So it's it's all gone. The plan hasn't gone completely according to plan, uh, but it's gone very well for them. I think finishing third was about as successful as it was ever going to get in the Premier League, given that the top two are just in a a different ballpark at the moment. So it's it's I, they they made they made hard work of it, needlessly hard work, I'd say, given the state of play in the Premier League at the start of the season. I think that. I know some people, as Solskjaer alluded to, predicted United would finish sixth or eighth. Um, I, I, I suppose for you and I, Rich, we had kind of like a unique view of it in pre-season where they were very, very upbeat, very positive, and they, they had quite a propitious pre-season as well in the way things went. So on the back of that, I was very much confident of, of predicting United mm. would finish in the top four. Um, but for a lot of people, they, they saw Solskjaer as just this, this easy fall guy who'd been operated above his brief. But he's done very well. And even if they don't win the Europa League, I don't think it necessarily... you dismiss it as a unsuccessful season it's probably it's such a nuanced thing that if they don't win the Europa League and they finish third it's neither a success nor a failure it's it's not quite as black and white as that of course if they do win the Europa League then it's undeniably a successful season yeah it's going to be interesting like you said there's still a permutation on the Europa League which can amplify a season even beyond what it is I think I mean I, c- I can't quite find it but when I did my pre-season prediction I think I had United for and I'm gonna, I'm gonna sound like I'm blowing my trumpet here. I had the app for third, I think, but I'd, I think I'd first, second, and City to win the league. So, you know, there's always there's always caveats. I had Sheffield United rock bottom. So, oh no, no, I I also uh, when I looked it up again last night, I had Sheffield United as rock bottom, which is obviously just an appalling prediction. All I would say for for us and and the members of our industry is that we do we put our heads on the on the chopping block. We we do always have to make these predictions, whereas others can 
claim we're clueless and get away with it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Ty, when it came down to the actual showdown, as it were, against Leicester, of course, Leicester had quite a few players out injured. United only needed a point at the King Power Stadium. Quite a scrappy game, a game United won 2-0, though. But uh, what did you make of the match as an actual spectacle, as, as the actual last day of the season? Um, if, I mean... We've already spoken, and Samuel said it, the Premier League this season has not had the best quality. United's performance yesterday wasn't really the performance of the third-best team in England, but it was enough to get the job done, and that's all that matters. Yeah, it was. It, it wasn't much of a game, really. I mean, Solskjaer said pretty much that his team always plays to win, United always play to win, but for 60 minutes, 65 minutes, they, they didn't really play to win. They looked very nervy. They were, they were probably second-best without ever really looking like they were in much trouble. Um, Leicester look like a team who've been woefully out of form for, for six months now and have been a, a sitting duck in the top four and United look like a team who were just completely shot physically really and, and it made for a, a poor spectacle. You, you certainly sensed around the 65 minute mark that, that the longer it stayed nil nil in that second half the more nervy it was going to get for United because the less time it gave them to respond to a goal if, if Leicester did manage to find one from somewhere. So I think the timing of United's goal was massive and at that point you know, Leicester hadn't really looked like scoring one, so I don't think they were ever going to look like scoring two. So the timing of that goal was was crucial and, and probably fitting that Fernandez got it, given given his impact that Samuel mentioned on. I, I mean, I just suggested he should come off, really. And there, mm. was, there was a point just before that penalty when he was in midfield and trying to close down Leicester players. And he looked like he'd just finished a marathon. And he, I mean, he was completely shot. He was looking at his feet. He was jogging towards the ball. And he just looked so physically done that it felt like it was a risk keeping him on the pitch. But obviously, he's, he's deadly from 12 yards and helped to win the penalty as well. And, and that was kind of fitting. But it was another game that kind of encapsulated how United have... And they flew out the blocks after Project Restart. They were brilliant for a few weeks. But that gamble of playing the same team five games in a row was always going to catch up with them. And they have looked a really tired team recently. And the, the, my fear was going into this game, if they went behind, how much have they actually got to, to chase the game? But... Mm. Thankfully, they defended pretty well. I thought Victor Lindelof was excellent. And, and they got the goal at the crucial time. And it was a clean sheet, really, that, that, that saw them over the line. Yeah, exactly. Um, we'll get on to maybe... I mean, the fact that United played that strong level and they looked, um, they looked depleted on fitness is maybe another indication that United not only need to strengthen their starting lineup but their, their full squad this summer. We'll get on to transfers and the permutations of that uh, a bit later in the podcast. But just touching on what Tyrone said there, Samuel... Uh, Particularly, it was a game where, you know, Victor Lindelof versus Vardy before the game looked like a mismatch. But, I mean, credit to Lindelof. He had that game against Juventus as well last season where he was excellent against Ronaldo and he's done it against Vardy again. He needs to just be playing against the best strikers every week, doesn't he? He, he does have this knack of saving his best performances against against the elite forwards, if you like. With, with Vardy, I suppose, elite is maybe a bit too kind for him, but as far as Premier League standards go, he's he's been a terrific striker the last five years. There was an early instance where, I can't remember who played the ball over, um, it was like a ball over the top, and it was almost as if there was this anticipation in the ground that Vardy was just going to get onto it and, and bolt right past Lindelof, but Lindelof knew that he wasn't as quick as Vardy, got his body in a position that kind of just neutered Vardy, got the ball, played it, um, he was he was excellent. It was a hell of a time to to save his best performance of the season for. It was it was exactly the right time as far as United were concerned. I, I don't think Lindelof has overall had a particularly good season, but the significance of playing the way he did 
was was huge and it, I think it said it all that the only uh, sniff that Vardy seemed to get of a goal in the whole game was was from a set piece when his header went up to the crossbar so it, it was a, it was a great time for Lindelof to perform because it's it's pretty topical with with the window opening that you look at centre half and there's certainly scope there for United to improve that department by someone who is not necessarily going to be a top draw signing or, or command the kind of fee that Maguire did last year, but certainly someone who's going to put pressure on Lindelof because he's not really had a lot of pressure all season. There's been umpteen reasons for that. I think the best reserve defender United have got is still Chris Smalling, but he's he's doing very well at Roma and he looks eminently sellable given that he wants to stay in Rome and, and Roma wants to keep him. So Lindelof, look, I've, I've hammered him a fair few times this season, but he deserves credit. He He's been culpable for a number of goals that United have shipped this season. But as I said, talk about picking the right time to produce your best performance of the season. Yeah, exactly. And that's all mattered. United finished third, which still, I still almost doubt myself when I say that doesn't seem right because of how <laughs> poor they were at the start of the season. But Ty, it's a, a, not just a, a big win for Solskjaer. We'll get on to maybe what this means for Solskjaer going forward in a minute. But of course... Champions League qualification means you can attract the best players. It means that the United Adidas deal as well is is guaranteed to, to be fulfilled and they won't lose revenue from that. United were already going into the summer transfer window in quite a healthy position compared to, to other clubs. Um, but now United really need to accelerate those plans, don't they? They've got an extra few weeks now as well to sort of get underway. But the issue for United, maybe if you compare to other sides, particularly maybe in the Premier League, someone like Chelsea, they always seem to get their business done really snappy. United always seems to be long and drawn out. Last summer we saw even the Bruno Fernandes deal was drawn out quite late into the window. Uh, United really need to get a move on, don't they? They do, yeah. And we, I mean, we, we're used to Ed Woodward's negotiating style now and how he'd see even, you know, five million quid as a, a worthwhile saving, um, which sounds a ridiculous thing to say, but in football terms, it's, you know, it's not that much. We saw how Maguire dragged out last summer when United wanted him all summer and still ended up paying £80 million up front for him. So, And with Fernandez, I mean, you look at the transformation he's had. If they'd signed him last summer or signed him in the first week of January, then this might have been even more comfortable for United on, on the final day. Um, so they could do with, with getting business done quickly. I'm not holding my breath on that one. I wouldn't expect it to be done quickly. I don't think it's really United's way at the moment. But it was... You know, Champions League qualification is probably more vital financially than it's ever been this season, given that revenues are taking a hit anyway with games behind closed doors. No one knows when match day revenue will return. You might get a third of the crowd back in, but what does that mean for executive boxes and things like that, where most of your income comes from? So you know, I think every club is, is counting the cost of that. United have been pretty clear on their investors' calls, how, how serious that is and how much it's going to cost them. So the thought of missing out on you know, 70, 80 million quid and playing in Europa League again would have been a pretty daunting prospect. So to know that they are in Champions League and have that extra money coming in is vital and it can sort of sustain them through the window and allow them to, to do the business they want, really. Uh, it would be nice if it was done quickly and obviously it's a quick turnaround in terms of the, the season starting around about September the 12th. I think the window's open till October. I mean, it'd be no surprise if United started the season with a pretty similar squad. And we're still looking to do business going into October. But obviously, you've, you've got the issue of, of every point counts, really, in the Premier League now with, with the standards that have been set at the top. So, Solskjaer will want his squad sorted and settled, you'd think, by the end of August at the latest. But whether that happens, I'm, I'm not too sure. 
Yeah, wanting and getting are two very different things. Uh, Samuel, the one player that, that all United fans are unanimous and wanting is Jaden Sancho. Obviously, Champions League football is a big persuasion for him. It's a, you know, it's not a step down to United anymore because he'll be in the same competition. It's a better stage to shine on as well. But United's move for Sancho, what's the latest thing that's interested in him? And do you expect that to start moving again now in the next couple of weeks? It's It's got to, really. I mean, United aren't even concealing the fact that He's a priority target, and I think any any fan on the street would have would have known that for a number of months now. And it it just goes to show how how much they they want him. They wanted him last year. They wanted him when he was leaving Manchester City. But fortunately for City, Dortmund intervened and and spared them the, the embarrassment of of Sancho ending up at United or, or Tottenham. I think were the other team that that wanted them at the time. Um, it's they they do seem to have a free run at him in the. Chelsea, I know Chelsea keep getting mentioned with Sancho because he's a boyhood Chelsea fan, I think somebody said. Yes. I and it almost that's... seems it almost seems as though that's that sprung up by virtue of him being a, a boyhood blue or something like that. But given that the amount they've already spent, the players they've signed and Havertz is looking likely to be the third one they'll get in. You, you don't I mean Sancho just seems unforeseeable. They're they're pretty top heavy as it is and when you look at their defensive record this season, you'd imagine once Havertz has come in, Chelsea will look to strengthen their defence and obviously they, they want Dean Henderson. I, I suspect they will not get him for a myriad of reasons, but they want a new goalkeeper in. So that's probably going to be fourth on their list. And there's not another competitor really that has, has sprung out yet for United to deal with where it comes to, to Sancho so far. So if they want him, they should get him. I don't think there are any excuses, even with the pandemic um, hitting uh, football clubs as, as much as it has done. Um, Dortmund, record they reported their losses last month and they were, they were quite, you know, you know they, they raised eyebrows. And of course, for them, they've got the highest average um, attendance of, of all the European clubs. They get 80,000 in every week. They've not had any income with that. Traditionally, they are a halfway house for big players who want to move on to uh, to bigger clubs like Bayern Munich, which has been something that happened with obviously Goethe and then Lewandowski. And they were obviously so burnt from the Lewandowski situation whereby they were so stubborn and refusing to sell him to Bayern in 2013 that all they did was lose him on a free the next year. He's gone to Bayern Munich and he's won the Bundesliga how many years it's been on the trot. So the, the more Dortmund talk about Sancho, the more eager they are to sell him. And there's an awful lot of posturing involved in these um, negotiations. United tried to keep Sturm on these things. They've not got, I mean, I think it's Hans-Joachim Vatska and Michael Zork. They're quite, you know, they, they go on the record quite often um, with, with the German media, whereas with United, they don't have a director of football. Ed Woodward very, very rarely goes on the record. So it's, it's always one way uh, with these things. And, and I don't think Dortmund are, are an anomaly there as well. I think a lot of clubs operate that way because they know the player is eminently sellable and they're likely to get a good fee if they keep talking, keep trying to drive up the price. But of course, Dortmund are conscious that Sancho's entered the last two years of his contract and he has no interest in um, in signing a new contract. Uh, so it's it's set up. United have got what seventy days, ten weeks to to sign a player that they have had. Um, that they have been interested in for for upwards of three years. So as I said, although that there's going to be um, some, some you know 
some bargaining along the way and Dortmund will dig their heels in. Um, I do think that United will probably end up signing him just because they have got Champions League football. They've got the guaranteed revenue of that. And they have won, they badly want the player as well. But it doesn't necessarily mean it will be a quick deal either. No, of course not. And like you said, when you've got like 10 weeks, you might as well spend the first couple trying to, to get the deal lower and then do what you did with Harry Maguire. If it gets to a time where you've got an ultimatum, you just end up paying it anyway. But you can understand why it might be drawn out. Bad news for fans is don't expect a Sancho announcement this week because that's not how it works. But Indeed. And like even with Daniel James, I mean, that was teed up for the best part of a month before he was actually confirmed. And I know that with that, there was the issue of, it, of his father passing away, which was yeah, awful, um, to say the least. And of course, that's going to have some kind of impact or some kind of delay on it. But even with Maguire last year, um, it, was, it was a weird one. And it, it wasn't a coincidence, I don't think, that United got that one over the line as soon as they were guaranteed income from the Lukaku deal. Uh, they were never quite... I don't think they actually ever told us what the upfront fee for Lukaku was. They just said it was a £73 million deal. I imagine there were a few add-ons on, um, including that because of uh, because Inter were very, very reluctant to pay that money up front. But they got, obviously, they got some, some funds in for that and that partly funded the move um, for, for Maguire. So, as I said, these these things hardly ever play out quickly. Um, the you know the the golden standard of some of transfer winners for United is still 2007 when they had agreed deals for Anderson, Hargreaves, and uh, and Nani before June, and even with Carlos Tevez, which was protracted because of his owners, um, they still managed to get him in in time for the start of the Premier League season. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this Sancho uh, saga unfolds. But a uh, Tyrone, another player that United are interested in, it's taken another twist with a. Uh, Aston Villa staying up yesterday. Jack Grealish, of course, had to get on the score sheet as Villa stayed up. And there were joyous scenes in that Villa dressing room. I'm sure that brought a tear to your eye, seeing them all singing Sweet Caroline. But Jack Grealish, Villa stay up. What do you think that means for United's interest in him? And do you think that makes it easier or harder to buy him this summer? Um, it probably makes it more expensive because Villa will, will not need the money as much. I mean, I think Grealish should look to leave Villa regardless of whether they've stayed up or gone down. And I mean, in a way, it's fitting that he scored the goal to, to keep them up. And, you know, he, he should be looking to leave and, and depart now and and move on to, to pastures new. I mean, he's done all he can at Villa and he's clearly a, a better player. Um, but I think it's pretty clear Villa would have needed the money had they gone down by staying in the Premier League and having guaranteed Premier League income. They don't need funds as much now, so that might make it harder to do. But, I mean, really, you get the impression that, that Grealish should want to go and Villa should be looking at that and thinking... Yeah, do you know what? You've you've served us well. You should have left years ago. And if you really want to go, if you really want this move, then you know we're not going to stand in your way as long as we get a, a reasonable fee for you. So it might be slightly more expensive for United, but you'd like to think that if Grealish really wants that move and tells Villery wants that move, you'd like to think an amicable solution would be relatively easy to do. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, Samuel, for you as well. I mean, in terms of Jack Grealish specifically. What, what do you expect to happen on that front? Well, again, I think that could be a little bit more protracted than United would have liked because Villa have stayed up and they, they're going to be able to dig their heels in a bit more. Um, Wambasaka was one last summer where United used that phrase in terms of they that Palace actually dug their heels in. And in the end, I was actually quite surprised by the overall fee United agreed, which was, I think, 45 million up front, uh, rising to, to 50 million, uh, given that he was an England international 
sorry, not England international, but Premier League proven, about to become an England international. Um, I, I thought Palace could have got more money for that, but even in a window where there's not pandemic factored into it, it just goes to show what those bottom half club with those bottom half clubs how valuable that amount of money is and it, it turns heads it makes them think that we, we need to just take this and with Grealish it probably has driven his price up a little bit more I think United were looking to do certainly in February they were trying to set up the framework of a deal and then of course the pandemic hit and £65 million was the figure being touted at the time I don't think that's too too far off this time maybe take take a little bit off because of, of the pandemic and the fact that Villa have, have survived also means that they've avoided financial disaster because they did spend a hell of a lot of money in the summer and it ju- only just about paid off but they, they've stayed up so I suppose it it is overall vindicated even though a lot of those signings didn't really uh, perform for them and as you said it was it was you know, Grealish was was the inspiration again um, but it's you know Dean Smith said that it's going to get resolved within the next month or next month. I think whether Villa had stayed up or uh, gone down, this was always going to be the summer for Grealish to go. Uh, by modern standards, he's one of their greatest players, if not their greatest player, take, appearing in two cup finals with them, going down with them, helping them get back up, keeping them up. He's He's been brilliant for them. Um, from a, just, just from a football-loving perspective, I hope he joins United because I think he's he's terrific to watch. He's, he is a player who, he's one of those players that, I think as Hugh McElvenny said, you, you quicken your step on, on route to the ground because you're, you're so excited to see him play. And look, if, if they get Sancho and, and Grealish in, that that's the that's excellent going. That That's the attack boxed off um, for at least a year, you would think, uh, given that this time next year or maybe in the January window they might need a reserve striker to come in yeah it's going to be exciting and like the prospect of of United bolstering their attack with Sancho and Grealish is really frightening and United would you know the expectations would rise even more then but Tyrone bringing it on to expectations and social now um, he's got Champions League football we said last week on the podcast so that is what Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho both got in their first seasons as well so Solskjaer he knows he said yesterday that, that even playing for Champions League it's, it's not enough it's quite an Arsenal mentality to celebrate finishing third in the league <laughs> but United now going forward the pressure really steps on Solskjaer now because he's had this season we've given him a He's had a lot of stick. He's, he has proven a lot of people wrong, yeah. but he's done so by inheriting a squad that needed a transformation, which he's, he's overseeing. The tactics have changed a bit as well, although playing up from the back, I need Ollie, it's not going to work. Okay, need to end that. Um, <laughs> but as you keep on going forward with this now, tight, the pressure is going to amplify on Solskjaer. And next season, he will be judged in a, in a harsher way, a stricter way, particularly if they get some big names this summer. For you now, I know it's early days, and I know, like you said, it's got to be the caveats of who they do sign this summer. But for you, what will what will constitute as a success and an improvement next year? Uh, like I say, it partly depends on who they sign. But I think if they finished third but got closer to City and Liverpool next season, you, you'd probably mark that down as success again. Maybe dependent on cup competitions and, and how they do. I think United have, have somehow ended up best of the rest this season, which I don't think any of us would have predicted for for most of the season. Um, and that has to be the bare minimum going forward now. The, the problem they've got when it comes to chasing titles and trying to close the gap is the standards that are being set at the top of the league. I mean, it's 100 points, 98 points and 99 points that have won it now. And, you know, United are a long way off that. It, they would take a, a rapid improvement. There is improvement to be had in terms of 
signing players and in terms of improvements in players as well. But the, the standards to jump to suddenly being in a title race when realistically you're thinking it might take 95 to 100 points to win it again is is pretty unlikely. I I yeah. did, a, did a piece this afternoon sort of looking at how they might improve to at least close the gap. And in it, I mean, Liverpool dropped 15 points winning the title this season. United had dropped 16 points by the time after they played Liverpool in October. So theoretically, they were already out of the title race this season on October the 20th. So United could have won their last 29 Premier League games in a row and still not won the title, which shows you <laughs> how ridiculous the standards are. How, a, how bad their start was, and A, and B, how ridiculous the standards are at the top of the league. So to suddenly correct that, when really you can only afford to lose maybe three games in a season, I think it's a big ask. So I think you'd have to see success as at least just closing the gap to the top two again next season. Yeah, of course. What, I guess. Does anyone does anyone know what the biggest points leap is from one season to the next in terms of actually winning the league? In terms of an improvement rather than a, a digression. Um, yeah. No, 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 just just in terms of actually winning because I think when Liverpool nearly won it in 2014, they must have added on something like at least 20 odd points. Yeah. Easily. Um, well, I think. But as 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 Ty said, like just just looking at. United have finished on 66 points and they finished on that total last season when they finished sixth and yeah. um, when they finished fifth under uh, Van Gaal. I think they got more points when they finished sixth in, in Mourinho's first season because the, the standard was clearly a lot better. Yeah, well, when Pep took over at City, they, they, they had third that first season and they got 100 yeah. the centuries. That was 22-point uh, yes. leap. Yeah. So I'm guessing that must be up there with, it, it, with one of the highest. Feel, yeah, it doesn't feel like... It feels like there there should be a better one, a, a great the twenty-two, league, yeah. Because because City did did finish third, it's like only moving up a couple of places. Well, I guess Leicester must Leicester, be the I mean, exception. Oh yeah, Christ, yeah. How, and how, then I forgot that. Yeah, the season after that. Chelsea under Conte, I think the season after because they finished they finished tenth the year before tenth. and then went to yeah. win. Yeah. So those so are probably these... the ones that that stand out. Probably a discussion for off air, isn't it? <laughs> well, these these have all happened quite recently. It's almost as if it. It's almost as if it gives United hope that they they might somehow actually manage to do it. Uh, just looking now, Leicester got forty one points in the season. They just avoided relegation, and when they were champions, they ended it with eighty one. So that's plus forty. 40. So yeah, yeah, I don't think that's ever going to have been beaten. Watch but, this space when United finish with a record point tally next summer. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, interesting. Yeah, but like you said, this time, well, it's happened in recent years, so there's obviously yeah. going to be yeah. the. This, <laughs> There is there is reason for it, and you know you can't rule out an implosion at either City or Liverpool. I know they're both amazing teams and two of the best teams in Premier League history, but you can't rule out one of them not starting the season well. Maybe having some doubts, maybe a key player getting injured, etc. There will be an opportunity for that. It's down to how they start the season. But as we saw with Leicester, they won their first eight in a row this season, and they were neck and neck with Liverpool, and they've ended up finishing outside the top four. So a lot can happen. We'll wait and see what happens on that but I'm not sure which one of you wants to answer this but United have qualified for the Champions League now so the Europa League it's a bonus now for United it's not as maybe crucial as it once was because they don't have to rely on it to get back to the Champions League but United still want to finish the season with a trophy how do you think United's approach for the Europa League will be affected by the fact they've already secured the Champions League football I don't think they can really change their approach to it um, I think what benefits them is that where Solskjaer has clearly got so much faith in this first eleven, which is not going to be quite a first eleven because Luke Shaw's out for um, 
for, for the rest of the season, I think they said. So Brendan Williams is going to come in. But the gaps between the games are so so vast. I think they've, they've not got a meaningful game, with all apologies to last glimpse, they've not got a meaningful game now for, for two weeks. And then it's six days until the semi-final after that, if they get to the semi-final. And then it's five days between the semi-final and the final. So provided the key players stay fit, he... He has every reason just to keep continue with those players. I thought it was telling at Leicester that certainly around the hour mark, he was very hesitant about making a change again. Uh, it, there's clearly a distrust of players to come on and influence a game in a way that he sees fit. And I, I, I get that to a certain extent because there are certain players who've been on the bench United in recent games who have not been performing for a long, long time and you don't really associate any of them as real game-changing types. I think Matter should have come on against West Ham, but he he's hardly been... Has even had a kick in the Premier League since since the restart. It's 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 difficult to, to remember, really. He's, his role has been that, that peripheral. Um, but United have got that luxury, uh, I suppose, where the, there are gaps between games for them to really go for it and the draw has worked out quite favourably them as well the semi-final opposition uh, whoever it's going to be that that's that's going to be testing and, and in a straight knockout I suppose there's always that element of unpredictability um, with, with certain teams like Copenhagen or um, the Istanbul club who I have to copy and paste into my Bakashevsky uh, or whatever they call it they won they won the league didn't they they did, yeah. they did they did so they they deserve more respect for me really um, <laughs> yeah. rather than just saying them as like referring to them as the Istanbul club who are not Fenerbahce or, or Galatasaray but it's it, as I said I think that they've, they've still got to go for it but obviously I suppose the upside if they were to get trounced 6-0 by last glimpse or, or lose to uh, losing the quarterfinals is that they'd have more time to prepare at the start of next season because I think they're only just 22 days between the Europa League final and the start date of the Premier League so already we talk about how many points they're going to make up next season they are going to be at a massive disadvantage just because they're playing in the Europa League uh, in August yeah and again that's why it was so vital that United qualify for the Champions League for next season uh, to end today's podcast a bit of a weird one I know the season hasn't actually ended but in effect you know it, it kind of already has the domestic season has at least uh, our producer Ash who is not on the podcast today has asked us to do a little uh, task of having our end of season awards we might do this in a more uh, sort of elongated and special podcast after the Europa League as well but just for now Samuel based on domestic appearances and, and what's happened this this season so far who would be your United player of the season um it's tough, isn't it? Because you look at Fred, you look at Juan Bissaka, they've made big differences. They were good seasons. Rashford was very good. Restarts maybe knocked his form a bit. But then Bruno Fernandes has made such an impact. But has he had enough time to, to be player of the season? I'd, I'd, I'd just go with Fernandes because I think without him, they don't get they don't get Champions League qualification. He's He's been that crucial, that totemic. And I know that's harsh on someone like Rashford who was performing very well in the first half of the season. And has had his best season uh, and, and not not missed too many games in in the end because of because of the lockdown period. But I'd I'd probably go Fernandez. Yeah, I mean, last season Luke Shaw said that he was embarrassed to win the club's player of the year because the season had been so bad. But be a bit annoyed that he won't win it this year, won't he? Because he, he's been very good, <laughs> uh, particularly this calendar year. Um, maybe not before January, really. But uh, Tyrone, yeah. for you, um, yeah, it, it's tricky because there's a few good candidates without the being 
an outstanding candidate. I mean, Samuel Schreiter Fernandez has probably had the biggest impact, um, mm. but has only been playing for the club since February, really. So, I mean, I would be tempted to give it to Martial. Maybe Martial's a good shout. Yeah. Got 22 yeah. goals. You think back to kind of April and May last year, and I think everyone, I think a lot of people probably thought his time at United was was coming to an end again. Um, the, there was obvious issues there. It felt like Solskjaer was was throwing a few barbs in his direction at every press conference, and you know he gave him the number nine shirt. He's played him as a centre forward, and I think he's he's really taking huge strides as a centre forward this year. And and as United's number nine, scored a lot of goals, as well as missing two months of the season, and. You know, I think considering everything maybe that's been been thrown at him in his United career, it's been a massive season for him as a central striker. So maybe I'll go with Marshall. Yeah, I I think he does a lot of credit. I think as well, you know, Solskjaer's realised that if you want someone like Marshall to play well, it's got to be arm around the shoulder. You've got to big him up, really. I think the tough love doesn't always cut it with mm. Marshall. But credit to him. And I think particularly as well, that away win at Chelsea in February, he scored a really good header when Rashford had just been ruled out as well, yeah. that serious back injury. I think that was maybe the turning point. It was Fernandez to Wan-Bissaka to Marshall, and you know that was kind of fitting in itself. Wan-Bissaka as well, probably a player who we've almost got accustomed to how good he is and how consistent he is, because last season United's right-back issue was severe, mm-hmm. and it's a credit to him. And you're going to credit to Solskjaer, he's still got this flawless transfer record, really. I know James and Agallo have had reduced roles in the last few months but uh, Ash also asked us for young player of the year no one's going to be a hipster and say anyone other than Greenwood are they? <laughs> no no, it's, no. it's Greenwood isn't it? Yeah although again I guess if I'm going to be a hipster myself Williams deserves a shout because this time last year no one had really even heard of him and now he's a he's a key member of the first team United aren't looking for a left back anymore because Williams was so good but yeah we'll look into it and I think maybe in the next couple of weeks we'll look back at the best moments goal of the season etc who knows there could be another to come in the Europa League. But for now, yeah, at the back in the Champions League, Samuel, Tyrone, thank you very much for joining us this week on the Manchester Red Podcast. A pleasure. Thank you very much. And we will be back again, um, who knows when, either late this week or early next week to preview the uh, Europa League return and uh, we'll bring you all the transfer latest as well. Of course, we'll have live Q&As, our live day blogs. We'll bring you everything you need to know about the transfer window now that it's open on the Manchester Evening News. So please do stick with us. And that's all from us today. So please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next time.